guys. Welcome to Kindled. Happy Monday. Hope you guys are having a great day. I have a very, uh, very fascinating interview with Lucas Miles today all about the Christian left and what that is that we are seeing uh, within Christianity and within uh, culture, the Christian subculture. And I know that you guys are aware of it and are seeing it because we talk about it frequently. But I actually have Lucas on who wrote a book on it. So he is resident expert and he's going to help us unpack and explain to us what exactly is infiltrating the church and where it is coming from and how it's actually hijacking the gospel. So before we get into that, I do want to let you know that at the end of our interview, um, there was stuff that I could not fit into this episode. So that will be available inside our Patreon community, which uh, it'll air on Friday as a Firestarters episode. So there's a portion of our conversation where we talk about uh, this term that I, I bet a lot of you have heard, and it is being politically homeless. So uh, if you have liberal friends who have kind of described themselves that way, liberal Christian friends who have said, you know, I I just don't really fit in. I'm politically homeless. We kind of unpack what that might mean for a lot of people when they say that and, um, and explain that. And so that is the segment of our conversation that will be for Patreon supporters only. If you want to grab that and be a part of that community, you can join us at patreon.com slash kindled podcast. Every Friday, I release new episodes inside that group that are separate from this podcast. They are usually just me and the mic, but sometimes an interview goes a little long beyond the scope of Kindled, and I release that separately as a Firestarter. So I would love to have you in there if you want more from Kindled and you are dying for more episodes than I produce. Well, I am producing more. They're inside Patreon. So join us there, patreon.com slash Podcast. Uh, Last, just a reminder, if you've not left a rating and review, I would love for you to do that. Okay, here is my conversation with Lucas Miles. Lucas, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. So before we get started, I would love for you to introduce yourself to listeners and tell them who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name, as you mentioned, is Lucas Miles. Uh, I've been a pastor for, sort of preaching at 17, I'll be 42 this year, so I've been doing that a while. And actually, my my wife and I started a church uh, going on about 18 years ago outside of South Bend, Indiana. And we actually still pastor that that location. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church at this time is called Influence Church. There's no I. It's just N-F-L-U-E-N-C-E. And uh, so we've been here and it's been home base for us. Um, I've written a couple books. I had a book that came out called Good God a few years back, uh, the one we want to believe in but are afraid to embrace. And of course, what brought us together is this new book called The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. It was a number one uh, release on Amazon. It was the top Christian leadership book in the country for about the last six months, uh, which we were really proud of and very uh, blessed to uh, to have it do so well. And there's just been a great response of people mm-hmm. who are wanting to return to biblical orthodoxy. So uh, uh, I've worked in the film production space. I've produced a couple of films for Netflix, Redbox, Walmart, uh, you know, a lot in faith media, I've done some work with Pure Flix and some other companies out there. But, you know, really my heart is to to help the church kind of find its way, uh, you know, to, uh, um, you know, to continue to keep uh, the supremacy of, of Jesus and the authority of scripture in its first place for us. Yeah, man. So good. Uh, I, like I was telling you before we started recording, I heard you first on John Cooper's podcast yeah. and I love his show. He's so fun. To listen to. He's great. I mean, yeah, I, I, I often listen to his podcast and I'm like, be more chill, be more like John, be more be <laughs> funnier. Like he's just, he's just so great at being himself. I don't know. Yeah. Everybody enjoys listening to him, but, uh, but what, 
your book, the Christian left, the one that we're going to talk about today, um, was such a, it was such an interesting just framing of this conversation around, uh, liberalism. Cause I've, you know, I, I have been noticing as a lot of other people have this shift in Christianity towards liberalism and, and, uh, both politically and theologically. And so it was just really refreshing to realize like, oh my goodness, someone actually is talking about this openly. And, and it's, it sort of sometimes feels like what we're doing or what I, what I'm doing, whether it be on Instagram or on my podcast is it's like reading between the lines of things and just kind of trying to navigate and say like, no, that's not right. Or that's not right. But you're just coming out here and you're literally laying it out for us and explaining Mm. that to us. So I think that you'll be able to shed a lot of light and clarity on what is happening here. No, happy to. And, and that's certainly, uh, it's, it's a role I feel like that God's put me in. I mean, this isn't to me, this wasn't just about writing a book and, you know, what should I write a book on? And let's think of this topic. This was really something that I see as a major issue for the church. It's not the first time we faced a shift like this as the body of Christ, but it is the first time we face a shift like this with so much, I think money and media, um, behind it, which Mm -hmm. has really amplified it. And so, um, uh, I think that uh, if we want to see America thrive, I think if we want to see families, you know, continue to thrive, I, I think that the church has to stand strong. And so uh, that's really what this is about, is helping to avoid some of these errors and and help people understand uh, what to look for, you know, um, and and how to uh, how to kind of identify some of the, uh, I guess, the uh, uh, the contrarian views that are arising, you know, within Christianity mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. So what exactly is the Christian left? I mean, it obviously sounds like something and maybe people have ideas uh, that are, that are forming as, as we say that, but what do you mean by that? And what is the phenomena that this book is kind of unpacking? Yeah. So the Christian left is what I call this growing constituency of left-leaning Christians and sometimes Christians by name only who have embraced um, various forms of liberal philosophy, um, uh, uh, you know, really leftist um, theology and ideology, and we can break that down to what that really means. And and of course, at times, things like Marxism, critical theory, critical race theory, um, et cetera, that have begun to um, kind of find a home within their theology and their faith that is starting to navigate them away from, I think, um, very specific biblical truths into what I call these divergent dark waters of, of progressivism or postmodernism. And so, you know, on a practical level, what that looks like is it looks like a, a Christian or so-called Christian that is starting to identify with uh, beliefs like being pro-choice, being affirming towards the LGBT lifestyle, um, uh, being affirming of things like transgenderism, um, you know, uh, maybe maybe starting to you know see uh, the gospel as synonymous with socialism or Marxism or mm-hmm. or what's called the social gospel, you know, these sort of mindsets, and so it, it has a tendency to lean towards uh, a support of open borders and and uh, you know a lot of other kind of wokeish you know, sort of concepts that are existing within within the world right now in our culture. And so um, historically, the church has been a very well-established 
Uh, it's, you know, Christianity is very well established religion. It's 2000 years old. We have a very defining authoritative book um, that guides us in that. And now all of a sudden in the last, you know, 100 years, specifically in the last, you know, 10 years, we've seen this massive push away from the authority of scripture, which has allowed sort of this choose your own adventure of the left to really pick and choose which doctrines they want to hang on to, and which ones they don't. And, and that's really the number one marker of the Christian left is whether or not they believe that that mm-hmm. scripture is God's word or not, and whether or not it's authoritative in its entirety, you know, for the life of the believer. Yes, man, you put that all so well and succinctly. Um, I love how you, you mentioned that that is kind of the, the keystone issue, the authority of scripture. Is it, is the Bible God's word and does it have yeah. authority? Um, because, you know, that's, that's a question that often comes up for me is, what is prompting this? What is, uh, you know, where is this coming from and why is it just all of a sudden, you know, and and I know that people have different theories and, and some, some of those theories hinge on political events and Donald Trump and this and that, and, and those types of things, which, um, I'm sure you have a lot of insight into how those have contributed perhaps, but, but like you said, I, I do think that it comes back to that issue of God's word and, and his authority ultimately, would you agree? Yeah, I mean, this this was going on way, way before Donald Trump. I mean, he's not even a factor. I mean, I think I mentioned, you know, Trump's name twice in my book, The Christian Left. Mm-hmm. Uh, this book has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Uh, you know, probably at least one of the times I mentioned him, it was in a negative instance. Now, I voted for Trump, you know, both times I, I've, mm-hmm. I've said stated that publicly. Um, but but the Christian left is not a reaction to Donald Trump. Um and, you know, maybe has it been, has it been, you know, empowered a little bit by some reactionary theology to him? Maybe. Um, but I think to, to overemphasize that is to really be, you know, to prove ourselves ignorant of about the last 300 years of, of history and theology. This has mm-hmm. been building for a really, really, really long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually working on some future things that will detail that even more. I, I have a, um, uh, a resource I'm going to be putting out here soon on the history of critical theory, uh, where I kind of really take people from really starting with Immanuel uh, Kant, uh, you know, philosopher in the 1700s, all the way to kind of today. It's about an hour and a half, uh, really rapid paced lecture across the subject to help people understand how we got here. Biblical criticism has been developed for a long time. And probably the other thing that people need to be aware of is a teaching called the historic Jesus. Uh, the historic Jesus was a, a philosophy that developed towards the end of the 1800s. Uh, there was a particular individual um, who wrote a book called The Quest for the Historic Jesus. And, and this, this quest was all about finding the, what they called the true Jesus. That was the Jesus who really existed once you cut away all the mythology of scripture in order to find him. So it's sort of the philosophy that Jesus is real. But scripture has sort of fabricated all these things. So he didn't turn water into wine. He probably didn't rise from the dead. But but he has a metaphorical resurrection in the sense that his disciples continue to share his gospel after he was dead. So that, in a sense, is sort of this resurrection that we talk about. And so it, it really downplays all the miraculous and, and divine aspects of Jesus uh, that we find in scripture, that we find within Christianity. And although, you know, people today, you know, whether it be a millennial or a Gen Z or, or you know, a, a theology professor that's kind of given up you know, traditional views, a lot of times these individuals aren't very aware of, 
you know, 200 year old philosophy and theology, but the impact of that has continued to really snowball into the thinking of where we are today. And it's come from multiple streams, you know, that have really produced where we are, but there has been an emphasis for a long time to try to, um, uh, downgrade the church's view of Jesus to see him more as a social reformer, as the mm-hmm. champion of the state, rather than the savior of the world. And that's really culminated right now in what I call the Christian left and, mm-hmm. and some very strong, you know, formerly evangelical leaders that have become very strong proponents of at least ideas of this. They might hold a certain divine aspect still for Jesus, you know, enough to not be totally kicked out of most circles, uh, but their gospel is leaning more and more towards a social gospel rather than a spiritual one. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, that's really helpful. Um, You know, so you mentioned, obviously we, we kind of talked about the political aspect and how, you know, this is, this is obviously bigger than politics. It goes way further back than anything that's happening currently in American politics that, that I think, you know, it is maybe just the first time a lot of us woke up to it or realized, oh my goodness, this is happening now for sure. Yeah. And then now it's, now it's like kind of a, a a topic that's being discussed and, uh, and, you know, it's causing tension in churches. It's causing, I mean, we left our church, um, last summer because of this exact thing that Mm. was cropping up in our church and started seeing and hearing CRT and, and they were reading James Cone at, on a leadership level. And we're like, wait, what, what, what's happening? You know? And it was just, it was like, we realized when we woke up that we had been lulled to sleep by these, these ideas and, you know, praise God that he, that he did, um, Mm. you know, give us the conviction to know that this is not, this is not a biblical church. It's not a place you need to be anymore. So left that, but ever since then, you know, and, and kind of in the last year, what, while we were there, I've just been so intrigued by how, uh, liberal theology has influenced, or maybe even also liberal politics are influencing the theology inside the church. And I don't know, what are your thoughts on which came first? Cause I yeah. see both happening. You know, look, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, we always hear all the time that that um, uh, culture is upstream of politics. And and I think that that's true. I think that faith is upstream of both culture and politics. Mm-hmm. And and I, I used to say the church is upstream of culture. And I, and I think that that's true. Um, but it's faith in general that's really upstream from culture, meaning that somebody's worldview um, will begin to shape their culture or our culture, which then in, in turn will shape our politics. And and so um, this is why it's so important that the church kind of takes its position, you know, in this. It's not that, you know, somebody like myself is, you know, I don't, I don't want to make uh, the United States of America some sort of theocracy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want Christian people to, to rise up and use their vote to ensure that, you know, Judeo-Christian values are upheld, you know, within the state. Mm-hmm. And that it's not the state, you know, trying to, um, uh, you know, usurp. Uh, a, a position of uh, force or strength over the church to dictate what the church can and can't do, which is starting to, you know, to happen yeah. in many places. Uh, and so, you know, when we, when we look at this, there's been some blurred lines. I mean, you have individuals, I, I talk about this a lot. I'm from South Bend, Indiana. And so of course we had mayor Pete Buttigieg out on the campaign trail for uh, you know, running as a, a democratic candidate for president um, during this last election. And Pete was one of the first candidates that I can remember uh, that spent a lot of time talking theology on the campaign trail. And he was breaking down passages. He was really doing, you know, exegesis of passages, but from a, you know, really kind of a Marxist, you know, liberal socialist sort of lens. 
And, and so, of course, you know, ending up with some very non-Orthodox conclusions to support various beliefs that he has. And, and so this is something new, you know, um, this looks more like, uh, I think, probably what the state looked like during the, uh, the time of the Reformation, you know, where the, the church and the state in many cases were sort of uh, one. Uh, and and sort of uh, this this weird fusion that existed between them, and mm-hmm. you know we're starting to return to that. It's not the it's not the traditional church that is that is merging with the state. There's really very little of that from my vantage point that's happening. Uh, it's it's really a leftist state that is trying to you know so or sort of usurp authority over the church to begin to tell the church what doctrine actually means to really define passages of scripture. And the, you know, there's the, the only places I can think of recently in history that have done that is communist China, which had its own um, uh, translation, the Bible commissioned uh, that actually in the passage where Jesus, uh, um, you know, finds the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Uh, he asks, you know, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. And when everybody starts to walk away, he then throws the first stone as the one without sin, you know, so it's this total blatant, you know, uh, um, uh, twisting, I mean, mean, rewriting of scripture uh, to try to reinforce these, these communist principles. And the other place where this happened was Nazi Germany, where they were having uh, specific translations written to support uh, sort of a Jesus that was this champion of the Nazi state and the National Socialist Party. Mm -hmm. And so uh, are we at that level yet? I don't think so in America, but, but there's some things that I think that we have to really pay attention to as believers uh, because it's, I mean, every single day, the news gets weirder and weirder and America mm-hmm. starts looking less and less like the United States of America. I want to tell you about one of the sponsors of today's episode, and that is Conviction Co. These are the cutest statement t-shirts with conservative messages you've ever seen. And I actually posted yesterday a picture of me in my newest one, and it says, you stay safe, I'll stay free. You guys, that is seriously fire. Who does not want to wear that message bold and proud wherever you go. I just, I love statement tees, but the thing is that they often don't have good design. They look really cheesy. And that's why I love Conviction Co's because they're beautiful and very non-cheesy. They just look like something you'd really want to wear. You for sure have to go browse their Instagram, look at some of their latest styles. You'll see exactly what I mean. They are cute. You could wear them and dress them up with jeans or dress them down with leggings. You need one visit their shop at convictionco.etsy.com to purchase their products or follow along on Instagram at convictionco to see their newest items, promos, and giveaways. And listeners can use the code KINDLED for 10% off all of their apparel purchases. Guys, that's a great deal. 10% off with the code KINDLED. Yeah, so true. And I guess I, I see a lot of what you were describing, um, I, I, my thought is like people have made, um, you know, they have replaced the God of the Bible with the God of, uh, you know, political control and power. I mean, and I'm talking about Christians or, or people who profess to be Christians. It's, it's really a religion, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you say that much of what we're seeing is the working out of the true, desires of people's hearts that the true one that they're seeking to bring glory to or who they're turning to for safety and 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 health and life and hope all of these things and the the traditional um orthodox christian church is kind of getting in the way of that we're we're the ones sort of standing in the way (laughs) of them 
worshiping in spirit and in truth the way that they would want. Yeah. I mean, certainly the Christian left is, is a, is a faith. Uh, It is a religion. It is a, you know, sort of this, what I would view as a heretical form of Christianity. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think that also wokeism and critical race theory, even for those more in a pagan uh, sort of sense, that is a religion as well. One reason I believe that it's important that we get wokeism or critical theory classified as a religion is it actually gives us more freedoms constitutionally against it. Uh, because the state is not then allowed from a constitution standpoint to subject right. Americans to this because it is a, it, mm-hmm. it is tenets of a specific religion in the right. same way we don't want the state obje- you know uh, 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 subjecting you know average people just to you know Christian doctrines and so if we're against that we want true freedom of religion in this country then you cannot have wokeism become the state religion uh, of this. And so wokeism is a religion. If you go back to Hegel, this was a very mystical, Gnostic, uh, religious sort of experience for him with critical theory. Um, Marx had those same religious elements, but it was paganized and sort of focused with really the divinity of, of man in some ways of the, the, it was all about, you know, the state and about the, uh, um, you know, the, the proletariat and these things kind of became uh, sort of these religious symbols for him in many ways. But um, this is, this is without a doubt, it's a, it's a faith that has risen up. It's, it's so it's rooted in Gnostic thought. That's really no difference. I mean, I think that most of uh, the battles out there are between some form of Gnosticism and Christianity. I mean, that's about, Mm -hmm. that's about the only two faiths there are and uh, or some sort of paganism, you could say it that way. But I, I think that we as Christians, we have to be aware of it because this is creeping into a lot of local churches. And I think that we can vote with our dollars. I think we can vote with our attendance and and really, you know, uh, and, and have uh, I'm a big fa- fan of just sitting down with pastors and talking to them when you hear a message that's concerning to you. You know, mm-hmm. if somebody's quoting James Cone, and I know not everybody's going to know that name, but he's the founder of Black Liberation Theology. I have spent a lot of time reading James Cone's work. It is some of the most disturbing, most racist stuff mm-hmm. I have ever read in my entire life. Um, and it, it is, uh, it is in, it infiltrated a lot of churches. And so if you're hearing people like Cone and Ibram Kendi and Robin DiAngelo mm-hmm. books quoted from the stage, then it's time to have a conversation with your pastor. At that point, they might be too far gone yeah. that, you know, that to, to expect a whole lot from a conversation. It doesn't mean don't have it, but it means right. to guard yourself in doing it. And I actually provide some questions in the back of my book, The Christian Left, that you can sit down with a pastor or maybe a church leader or an elder and really talk through some of those mm-hmm. things and ask them what they believe about some of these aspects to know if this is a place that you want your family worshiping or not. Yeah. Yeah. Even in our case, it wasn't even, um, you know, how whatever leadership is, is reading and consuming and being influenced by it. It it shows up in the pulpit last, but before the pulpit, it shows up in small group curriculum and, you know, connections, team meetings, and, uh, we're going to give you some new resources or uh, recommended resource book lists that are sent out to the youth mm. group or the, you know, the parents of youths. Like that's all the places that we were seeing it. It was wow. just everywhere, but the pulpit. And yeah. it was really, you know, it started off very small, like a, a comment here or there. Um, one, there actually was one sermon where one of this, it, he wasn't our main pastor, but that that's another thing is that sometimes it's brought in by these like brought in speakers, by the guest speakers, everything so else. That, yeah. hundred percent. Oh, it wasn't our pastor. He wouldn't say that, but it was just this yeah. other guy who said like the white evangelical church needs to repent for, you know, blah, 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 that type of stuff. And 
you know, again, it's like, we're sitting in, you know, I live in a, a predominantly white County and area and it, and it's like, okay, so you're, you're obviously talking to us and, and yet, but you're classifying sin as just only, um, you know, something that someone with white skin can do this, this couldn't possibly be a, a sin issue for people with darker skin than me, you know? And it was, yeah, that was, that was the one. So let me break that down example. maybe for somebody who's, who's, you know, new to uh, um, black liberation theology. And that's not the same thing as critical race theory. They are different. They came from kind no. of different veins. Um, but they're, you know, the, 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 the easy way of thinking about it is, you know, critical race theory is sort of the secular version of black liberation theology is sort of how it's manifested right. uh, within the church. They do have some different roots though, uh, but both influenced by Marxism. And, and so um, in, in black liberation theology, which was the, the name that James Cone gave to this sort of system that he developed. And it started during the fifties and sixties and, and Cone faced some, you know, legitimate uh, atrocities, you know, in his lifetime, he grew up in a place that that where he experienced racism, and he there was, um, I think, some some right motivations and some of the things that he was trying to do, but the methods and the twisting of scripture and these things got really out of hand very quickly uh, as he developed this thought, um, and so. Uh, Cone, and I, I will say that Cone's work was uh, sort of resurfaced during the Obama administration. He was champion kind of towards the end of his life. I think he died in 2008 or 2010. And um, it, it uh, uh, you know, he was really heralded as sort of this great Christian thinker and, and actually lived not too far from, from where I'm at. Um, but within Black liberation theology, there's only two sins that an oppressed community can commit. And those two sins are to... Um, uh, to not uh, acknowledge that you're oppressed, which is why the left hates somebody like Candace Owens mm -hmm. uh, or or somebody like uh, you know Alan West or whoever that Virgil is, Walker, Larry, yeah, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. Larry Elder in in the uh, the Newsom you know recall race mm -hmm. is because these individuals you know they're people of color and they don't see themselves oppressed. So according to Black liberation theology, and, and you could say argue because you know according to critical race theory too that because they don't see themselves as oppressed, that's sort of the first sin that they can commit. The second sin that, that an oppressed person can commit, according to these systems, is to be nice to your oppressors and, mm -hmm. and to, uh, to identify with them in some ways. And so this mm -hmm. is why when we had the, uh, uh, the Mercer U professor um, uh, who prayed the prayer, uh, Lord, help me to hate white people. Yeah. And everybody got, you know, I mean, obviously the outrage that came out of that and the shock and everything else. But what most people didn't realize is that she was being pious, according to Black Liberation Theology. Mm -hmm. She was asking God to help her to not sin by wow. breaking the second sin possible of an oppressed person. And that was, you know, she knew she was she, in her mind, according to Black Liberation Theology, she believed she was oppressed. So she had that one covered. But the second one is she she liked her friends who were white. Oh, and wow. she felt she felt that she would I mean, this is this is my analysis of this. Mm -hmm. She she felt that was sinful. Yeah. And so she was asking the Lord to help her with that by helping her to hate them because God hates everything that is not mm -hmm. black or that is not oppressed, mm -hmm. according to James Cone's writings. And so, you know, James Cone responds by saying that, you know, if that means you got to throw a Molotov cocktail into Whitey's storefront, which is a quote from his work uh, and other things that that's that that's, you know, you're doing mm -hmm. the will of God, essentially. And so yeah. uh, this is a very radicalized at times, almost violent leaning um, theology mm -hmm. that really had no business being dealt with in the church. But this was a tenured Christian college professor writing these things. Yeah. And our Christian colleges have been uh, infiltrated. And I don't use that word lightly 
uh, by liberal thought, so mm-hmm. much so that we have, I mean, we just saw this with, uh, um, you know, formerly a Christian school, certainly not anymore, uh, but Harvard just announced that their new uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, chaplain is an atheist, right. you know, and that that seemed like a great idea to somebody. I mean, this is, it, they're not even trying to hide it anymore. It is mm-hmm. in your face that they're trying to uh, uh, really rewrite what it means to be a Christian uh, based upon kind of these tenets of the social gospel. I want to let you know about our next sponsor, and that is my friend Sue, who is passionate about helping women feel better from the inside out. By now, I'm pretty sure we've all heard that gut health is central to our overall health. If you're looking for a way to improve your gut health, decrease inflammation, and improve your blood sugar balance, look no further. Plexus products do just that by helping your body to get rid of the bad stuff and pave the way to better digestive health. Their products are non-GMO, 100% vegetarian, and many are gluten-free. Most importantly, the products work. My friend Sue is offering Kindled listeners 10% off welcome pack orders plus a free Plexus shaker bottle with a purchase of $50 or more. Find her on Instagram at 7inthewoods. That's number 7 in the woods on Instagram to start feeling better from the inside out today. Yeah, man, that's actually really helpful about Mercer. I I did not realize. Yeah. As you, just the analysis you gave, that makes a lot of sense that why, why would you pray for God to help you hate someone unless you actually believe that was, that was your moral duty. And, and I think that's, it's pretty clear now that you say that, like that, that there it is. And, and you're just, it's that pulls back the curtain of the depravity of this, of these Mm -hmm. ideas and this ideology and how, how contrary it is to God's word, how contrary it is to the Bible. And hundred percent it's, I mean, it's just undeniable truly. If, if you're actually willing to look at, at what scripture says, like these ideas have no place, they have no footing. There's no, they are completely unhinged from scripture, but the problem that a lot of young people have and, and uh, you know, not, not to make it just a young person's issue, but that a lot of uh from my perspective, it seems that people just, uh, if someone says I'm a Christian or if they label themselves Christian, or if they're on the bookshelf in the Christian section at Barnes and Noble, it's like people have lost all ability to discern whether or not what they're saying aligns (laughs) with the Bible or not. Like Christianity isn't just like, um, you know, a a paint color that you slap on something. Yeah, it is. It is like, it is rooted in something that is eternal and absolutely true and when someone is saying these things that fly in the face of scripture and contradict god's word well that's not christian anymore and just because they're there on the shelf at barnes and noble doesn't mean that you know you should learn and glean what you can from sarah bessie and chew the meat and spit out the bones like no no, that's not meat you should be chewing. <laughs> you know, that's poison. So, and this I think would help people. I have a chapter in, in the book called The Christian Left that the, the chapter is called The Christian Cabal. And I go through this chapter and I really talk about the industry. You know, look, I, I've been part of, uh, for lack of a better term, the, the Christian industry and publishing and film and these things for quite a few years now. And I know a lot of these individuals. I know a lot of them personally. I, I've spent time around, you know, various people or interacted on, on stages or whatever that is and on or on shows or whatnot and and you know there's a lot of great people and there's a lot of nice leftists out there right they're they're friendly they're likable um but the the their methodology is responsible for for the deconstruction not only of 
you know, uh, the church, but also the nation. And I think that, you know, uh, when you understand critical theory, you understand that the heart behind critical theory is deconstructionism. It's why it's called critical. It's about tearing things down and trying to find different solutions. It's not about just seeing, you know, like if you or I were to see a problem, uh, we might strip a few elements of something apart. So if you're talking about even something mechanical, like a vehicle and you, okay, this car's not working. We take it to the mechanic. The mechanic doesn't go burn down the car and let's start over. You pull out the parts that aren't working. You replace them, you fix them, you improve it and you get it back on the road. A critical theorist looks at that car and goes, oh no, we have to start totally over, you know? And so instead of just fixing the elements that are there, see there's, there's issues in our society that need fixed. We have issues at the border that need fixed. We have issues in our prison system that need fixed. We have issues in, in some of our HR practices that need fixed. I, I, I'm not, I, I think that as Christians, we need to be able to admit those things. There's issues in the church that need fixed, but the way to fixing these things is not burning the system down mm-hmm. and rebuilding. It is, it's addressing them, pinpointing them, and then targeting them, replacing them, whatever that is, mm-hmm. and, and making it better. And so um, that's a very different philosophy than critical theory. I always, you know, kind of uh, tongue in cheek say that, you know, Jesus taught that, you know, uh, he was going to tear down the temple and then he said he was going to rebuild it in three days. Critical theorists and the Christian left are tearing down the temple and they're forgetting the part about rebuilding it. You know, they're just leaving it torn down. And, and that's kind of how they read scripture. That's how they view church, everything else. There's a great example going on right now um, with a story that came out about the national religious broadcasters uh, and they had fired an individual. They have a COVID neutral policy. They had fired an individual that had gone out on the morning Joe, you know, talking about his views of COVID and kind of promoting the vaccine and all these different things. And from an NRB standpoint, they're ministering to people and dealing with Christians across the board from all different backgrounds. And they, as an organization, have said they don't want to take a position on this. And it's not a it's not a faith issue that we have to have a position on. Mm-hmm. And so they they chose to have a COVID neutral policy. This individual violated it. You know, according to the story, doesn't seem that he was willing to kind of acknowledge that he violated it. And and, and and they ended up letting him go. And that has been trending all over Twitter. And everybody on the Christian left has been jumping in and poking at this organization, which is a very strong organization within, you know, traditional Christianity that's done a lot of work for helping the church and issues of religious freedom and everything else. But there's a great opportunity for the left to take a pot shot at it, you know, and and strike at it because, you know, it, it just kind of opened up um, – you know, a, a chance, I guess, for them to be able to do so with criticizing some of these COVID related policies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, regardless of what you think of the policy, if it's right or wrong or whatnot, what you see is you see this, this strategizing among the Christian left um, to try to deconstruct everything that we know that is, that is traditional Christianity. This has been going on for a long time. Uh, and there's a spectrum. You know, you have somebody like Beth Moore, who I think uh, is, is really wants to remain in sort of an Orthodox Christian position, but has just sort of made some uh, agreements in her life uh, with some liberal ideology and philosophy and, and some actually some liberal characters as well on the other side, and that it's been very hard for her to do so. So she goes back through and, and a few years back replaces all the, 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 the statements in her book about, you know, um, homosexuality being a sin and, and kind of mm-hmm. did that sort of quietly in the night. And then, of course, it got exposed. And, and it's been sort of this downward spiral from there for her. But she She's, mm-hmm. she's become more emboldened on her position. Oh, yeah. She, she's not, though, at the same place as somebody like, you know, uh, Jim Wallace, who was, you know, uh, caught taking money from Soros, you know, for his organization or some others that have become much further. But but the whole spectrum has, is something that we need to be aware of. And we need to call it out when we see it. And we can do so in truth and love. But as Christians, we have to recognize that, um, that there is a concerted effort to really hijack the gospel right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned Beth Moore. I was actually going to ask you about her because she's one that I've, I've, um, you know, heard people kind of, uh, try to understand, you know, where, where did that shift begin? And and we're not going to get into a lot of depth with this, but, um, I would probably guess you would, you would say it had, it had, it started with her theology and then filtered into her politics. Cause I know she's been pretty outspoken politically on Twitter and, you know, basically condemning mm-hmm. Trump, Trump supporters and, and saying, sure. you know, take yep. no part in this idolatry and all of this, which I'm like the irony, the irony that you're, you're calling that idolatry. And, and some of it is idolatry, but you know, it's like what you see, what you are, like what, what bothers you is, is the very same thing that you possess. And uh, that's been interesting to see. Yeah. The, the way, I mean, look, I, I can't tell you for, you know, especially for people that I don't know, you know, well on where this all started, but mm-hmm. I, I can just say as a general rule, I believe that we have a tendency to make God in our own image. Mm-hmm. And we have a tendency to create a theology that, um, that protects our ego and that justifies some of our beliefs. A lot of times, you know, people uh, begin to um, question biblical views about gender and sexuality uh, when they have somebody in their life that they care about that is mm-hmm. struggling with, with gender and, 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 and sexual issues. And so they see this person, they love them and they think, you know, I care about them. How could God not care about them? And of course, God does care about them. He cared mm-hmm. about them enough that he died on a cross for them and, and is trying to offer a hand of freedom to them. And, and so we have a tendency to start, you know, sort of start uh, transitioning our beliefs to, to line up, to, to help us sleep at night better, you know? And I think that this, it, it, a lot of times it's an element of compassion on the left. You know, we talk about the bleeding heart of the left and that that's really, and I, I commend the left for, um, four elements of compassion, I think initially that drew, uh, that, that drove some of their uh, push towards liberal, liberal thought, because on the surface, liberalism appears, uh, not liberalism in the classical sense, but liberalism in the modern sense appears to be uh, more loving than, you know, uh, conservatism. And what we see from a biblical standpoint is that, you know, Jesus, who's the embodiment of love, the Bible says in John that he came in grace and truth. And I always tell people, if you want to, if you want to uh, um, better your chances of avoiding error, you have to make sure that you are hanging on to both grace and truth equally. Not a little bit of grace and a little bit of truth, but a full amount of grace and a full amount of truth. And what does that look like? So if I just elevate grace over truth or an idea of grace over truth, I will end up a progressive. I will end up, you know, somebody who's just has some sort of permissive, you know, uh, theology. Right. If I if I elevate truth over grace, I end up a bigot. I end up a Pharisee. And so, you know, anybody who knows me, it's it's almost it's almost interesting that I'm a, the guy who's standing out here calling out, you know, uh, um, uh, progressive Christianity. I was starting to become. Uh, part of the Christian left at one point in my life, early on in my ministry, I was I was fascinated with things like socialism. I would have made statements about socialism mm-hmm. or communism possibly being a better example of the Christian life if you could do it right, mm-hmm. and all these sorts of things. And I fortunately had some people in my life that really helped uh, me to be able to um, avoid that error before I went too far in. And the other thing, I'm known as a grace guy. I have a pretty wide view of orthodoxy. I, I think that there are a lot of different issues. You and I could disagree about speaking in tongues or about once saved, always saved, or you know whether you can lose your salvation or whatever, and we can still be in an orthodox position of faith. You can mm-hmm. believe in the vaccine, and I might not, or I might believe mm-hmm. in it, and you might not. We could still be both in orthodox Christianity. There's room for both of those positions. Yeah. Um, what there's not room for is questioning the divinity of Jesus, 
questioning the authority of the word, uh, questioning the the creation, you know, of God, the theology, of the body, you know, these different things. And so when you start triggering some of these doctrinal points, these move us out of the realm of what is known as Christianity. And we get into some other religion. And my fear mm-hmm. is that there's a lot of people within the Christian left who have started to cross that, that divide where they are starting to drift out into really a whole nother faith altogether. It's still using the name Jesus, but yeah. you know, so did the Gnostics, so did the Gnostics, so did the Nazis. There's a lot of people who have used the name mm-hmm. Jesus as part of their faith structure, uh, but it doesn't right. mean it had anything to do with Christianity. And I think we are starting mm-hmm. to see that right now with the Christian left. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that's all extremely accurate. Um, I I saw that in our church, just that uh, it was almost like a fascination with the new and the novel and Mm. that there was like, and and I know that's because now I know that it's because we were in a church that was very progressive. Actually, I didn't realize it when I was on the inside because I personally wasn't progressive. But when I started having conversations with friends at the church, then I would say, you know, okay, well, you know, you, you don't believe in abortion, right? So how can you possibly vote for these candidates that support and will further that agenda? And they would say things like, well, I'm not, I'm personally pro-life, right, but I'm not right. politically po- pro-life. And then I started like, really, what, wait, can you do that? Is that, is that actually possible? <laughs> Does that exist? Or is that just a misnomer of really, you're just a walking contradiction because that's, mm-hmm. that's actually impossible to do. You're either one or the other based on, you're, you're either going to vote for someone who will further those, those uh, policies or not. Um, but there was just this fascination and interest from, um, and this was a particularly young church, but from people that it was like Christianity had something to learn from mm. people like James Cone. And maybe they yeah. would have said, we don't agree with everything he said, but we think that we can, um, we, what is Ian Cron says this, um, we can glean from the traditions, you know, glean from the spiritual traditions of others and, what, how can we integrate and weave in these different threads of truth from, from <laughs> other traditions into our faith tradition to make this like new and better thing. And so many Christians find that really attractive. And, yeah. and I think it it's for a lot of reasons, I'm sure. But one of them being like, if I weave in a little bit of your truth into my truth and we meld this thing together that makes me not be hated by the world. That makes me a little more palatable. I don't, I don't bear this, you know, this mark uh, of Christ that makes the world, um, you know, repulsed by me the way they were uh, Jesus himself. Like I become just a little melting pot of beliefs Mm -hmm. and religions and ideas. And, and, um, and, you know, that is obviously that is idolatry in and of itself because we're elevating the world's opinion of our, uh, of us over, glorifying God and actually, you know, living for him. My friend, Lauren Ashley Gilmore published a book called, Oh, That's Good. Lauren filled this book with collected words that gave her hope throughout the last decade. Quotes from podcasts, sermons, classes, mentors, trainings, casual comments from a friend, a passerby in the grocery store. As she began to share these on her social media account, the feedback she was getting was, please post more of these words of wisdom. So she compiled all her favorites into a book. This is the perfect gift for a coworker, a friend, someone you're not even sure if they're a believer, but you want to give them something that is true and good and beautiful and points them to the gospel. Um, This would literally be the perfect way to segue and 
possibly open up some great conversations with that person. Find the book on Amazon or at the link in show notes and follow Lauren Ashley Gilmore on Instagram. Yeah, James, uh, James Lindsay calls this the alchemy of the left, you know, just sort of this, uh, uh, this, this blending and, and melding this amalgamation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this Frankensteining sort of thing that takes place, it's very common. You know, I'll say this, you know, I mean, theologically speaking, that's called a schism. It, it's called, uh, you know, a, uh, a heresy when you have a little bit of truth, and then you take, you know, something that's not true, and you begin to mix that in there. Um, can I learn reading James Cone? Yeah, I can learn a lot. I can have compassion on on mm-hmm. uh, and and empathy for maybe what initiated his search for these things but i can also learn something about it's like reading a, a biblical passage about uh, uh you know king saul i can learn reading about king saul i can learn a lot about what not to do and uh, but to sit there and begin to emulate aspects of saul's life because i want to identify with him or something that, that would be very foolish you know, for anybody to do, because there's not really, you know, a lot of great things for us to emulate, you right. know, that we're given there in, in the, uh, in the biblical account. And so uh, the other thing, you know, I, I think that's important, you know, for us to, to see with this is that there's this thing called uh, biblical, I call it biblical extrapolation. And basically that we have a tendency to get very bored with um with christianity i mean the, the nature of christianity is it, what it's about it's about relationship it's about discipline it's about obedience it's a you know but and we have this text that most people haven't read well enough to really know uh, but it's it's they're familiar enough with it that it doesn't always seem fresh if they're not approaching it with faith and so what do we do we look for something to, to liven it up it would you know uh and i don't want to be crass about this but it would be like a couple who's, you know, bored with their marriage going, what can we do to spice things up a little mm-hmm. bit here? And, and I think that what has happened is we have the tendency, or I should say the, the, the Christian left has a tendency to bring, to look for new aspects of ideas or, or uh, new iterations of beliefs that they can introduce into their faith to make it seem more exciting. Mm-hmm. And so, well, you know, the Enneagram, that's really exciting, you know, and so we're going to bring that in here. And, you know, you have people that have made that, they have more concern about what, and I'm not saying that you're a pagan if you've done the Enneagram before, mm-hmm. but I'm saying that a lot of Christians that I see that are utilizing it, they have more faith in what the Enneagram says about them than yeah. what, you know, scripture does about who they are in Christ. And so I would rather spend time learning who I am in Christ than who I am in the Enneagram. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean there's not a place for, you know, taking a personality, you know, test like the disc profile, but I don't think the Enneagram is like the disc profile. I think it's rooted in something very different. And so as Christians, I think we should be aware. That's a personal belief I have. Some people might disagree. Um, But the, the, you know, we have this tendency to sort of extrapolate passages to find new things, way, new ways of looking at stuff. And that's really the heart behind this idea of biblical criticism is it sort of kind of deconstructs this in order to, you know, find, uh, um, you know, an element or an aspect that nobody has seen before. And then all of a sudden it becomes very interesting, you know, for these people who are bored in their faith. And next thing they know, they really have a totally different belief system. Right, right. And it's a cultural value today, too, to... Uh, advance and progress and yes. technology and what's the newest cutting edge information or research or science or data. And we see that in the secular world, but it has, it is certainly af- infected and affected the way that people approach their faith, as you were saying, because we're looking at, you know, the Bible the same way, getting a little tired of our thinking. It's like that study that was released five years ago that said that coffee 
was bad for you. And we're like, well, no, I, there's probably been some new research. So let's look at <laughs> what the data today says. Sure. Oh, look, it actually turns out that there's some, there's some experts that say this, this, and this, and, and all of a sudden here, we have this, like you said, a little schism. Um, and the problem is that that's actually happening to our pastors and to leaders of churches and they're, um, like leading their entire flock astray. Um, and so anyways, I, I love that. Yeah. You're, you're bringing a lot of clarity to that. Um, so if, if the Christian left is, you know, clearly bringing in a lot of unbiblical, um, secular, doctrines and ideologies into orthodox christianity and trying to kind of pull the whole thing down with it what's the answer you know is it is it the christian right is it like what it, where do you go with that idea to you know what what do we meet that with yeah and so i you know i've, I've joked that if if um if the problem keeps getting worse on the right, who knows five years from now, I might write the book, the Christian right, you know, because I believe that we need to protect the church from extremes on, on any side. And, and so this is not just about elevating some sort of, you know, Christian nationalist viewpoint or whatever this, this uh, kind of, uh, um, you know, boilerplate language that you hear, you know, in media. Um, the response is biblical Christianity. And the response is the truth and love um, if, if I, uh, if I truly love someone, I'm going to speak the truth to them. I'm going to do so in a way that they can receive. I can create on ramps for them with my words, my language, the relationship and everything else. Um, but there is, uh, Christianity is well-defined. You know, I say this all the time. It's well-defined. Uh, there's, there's, uh, nearly every single problem has been solved, uh, over the years, theologically, uh, it's really hard to come up with something new, you know, that nobody's ever heard before. And if you do, it always makes me a little bit nervous, um, you know, and look, I, I've taken part in aspects of deconstructionism of certain uh, uh, beliefs within what I would call fundamentalism. Um, you know, my first book, Good God, uh, there's probably some people that wouldn't love the book because um, they would think that I've maybe, uh, you know, deconstructed elements that they hold to very tightly. Uh, you know, I, I talk about things. Um, I, I, I do a whole commentary on the book of Job. It provides an entirely different way of reading the book of Job without changing any language in it, uh, without changing any words in there, but understanding some of the original language more. And what you realize is that God's not at fault for Job's suffering. And mm -hmm. I believe that that lines up better with the biblical account of scripture. I'm not the first person to say it. I, I put it into a book and kind of, you know, did some, did the homework and research to pull it all together. Uh, but I think that this can be an orthodox position uh, when you go through it versus some of the views that, you know, God was using Satan as his watchdog to do all these things. You know, that just doesn't line up with a biblical understanding. But yeah, we have theologians who have said over the years. So like, look, I spent time deconstructing some of those beliefs because I think they were wrong. Um, but if we start deconstructing core tenets of Christianity um, without any sort of biblical grounds, without any sort of theological grounds, without any sort of church history grounds, um, you know, we were standing on some very thin ice. And I think that that should be make people nervous. The result, the response is we have to do our part to study, to show ourselves approved. And what I mean by that, you know, and what I think that passage really is speaking to is that we need to get in the word we need to learn it. We need to see what God thinks about us. We need to see who we are in Christ. We need to begin to walk that out and, and, and reject some of these ideas that throw away personal responsibility, that throw away original sin, that throw mm -hmm. away idea of heaven and hell. Any doctrine that is coming to you that's rejecting those items is not a doctrine that is of, of scripture. And I think it should be rejected outright uh, uh, to its face. And, and we need to move back into, you know, I think territory that, um, 
you know, that 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 is more in line with a uh, historical understanding of Christianity. Yeah, cool. That's helpful. Thank you for absolutely. Thanks for clarifying that. Um, yeah. So uh, what would be your encouragement to someone who is seeing this kind of crop up per, perhaps in their church or in their friend groups and their communities? Um, you, you know, you mentioned that obviously getting back to biblical truths uh, is the, is the only true real answer in response to all yeah. of the, the, uh, I don't know, infiltration of these ideas into our churches. Um, but you know, do you just encourage people to have a chat with their pastor or, you know, how, how do they evaluate, um, the level to which this has actually come yeah. to influence their communities of, of faith? You know, certainly have a chat with your pastor. I think there's a couple books I would recommend right now. Uh, you know, we mentioned Cooper earlier. His book is great. Uh, also, um, Dr. Owen Strand. It looks like Strachan, mm-hmm. but it's Strand. Um, uh, Owen's a, a new friend of mine. His book, um, Christianity Awokeness, is phenomenal. Vody Bachman's book, really great. Um, and, you know, uh, of course, the Christian left, grab a copy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these things are all, um, I, I think that those, you know, three or four books there, are some fabulous resources for people who are asking these questions, who are trying to discern whether or not their church has fallen into this. And I think that, you know, um, what I tried to do in the Christian left was not just identify what's going on out there in the world, but to show how leftism has infiltrated the church and where to look for it and what, you know, how to identify it and what to do about it as you go through. And so uh, I I set this up so that you could sit down and talk to your pastor about it and go through some of the questions and these things that are there. And so, you know, I'm a pastor first and foremost. And so that's my background. And I really wanted something that could help not only pastors out there, but also, uh, you know, other people that, that uh, maybe feel like they're caught in these churches. I had a pastor reach out from a major city who said, Hey, I read your book. I loved it. Um, and I'm hundred percent on board. And I just, I just realized that, you know, he's a big major church. He goes, a lot of my staff are woke and I don't know what to do about it. And so, you know, I have individuals like that, that I've been coaching through trying to help them. And so the other thing too, if there's people out there that go, Hey, I'd love to have Lucas come speak or, or be able to talk to me further. They can get a hold of me through my website or social media uh, websites, lucasmiles.org. And of course they can buy the book there and every copy they get is going to be autographed coming from my own website. You can get it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble as well, but those aren't signed. Um, and uh, you know, really I want, what I want to do is get this out to as many pastors and church leaders and, mm-hmm. and strong Christians as I can to help equip the church to really fight back against um, this sort of push to the left, but to do so Mm -hmm. in truth and love in the way that Jesus did. Yeah. So good. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. And also keeping in mind, you know, of course the ones, the relationships that we have depth with, with, those give us more latitude to have harder conversations, but certainly, like you said, the airplane just going around looking for people who are leaning towards the Christian left, you know, that's not, you're, you're not the Holy spirit and we can't, convict hearts or open spiritual eyes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Well, thank you so much, Lucas. This has been so informative and helpful. Um, and where can people find you online? Yeah. So the, uh, of course, lucasmiles.org for kind of all things. You can also head over to Instagram or I'm on TikTok as well. I joined over Christmas oh, right. and that's become one of my more uh, um, uh, organically uh, growing platforms. And I'm at, uh, at Mr. Lucas Miles at both of those platforms as well. And that's MR Lucas Miles. Uh, so definitely appreciate a follow and uh, hit me up if you got any questions or you want to find out more about the book or having Perfect. me in to speak. Awesome. I'll link all of those resources in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thanks for having me. 
You guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope that conversation was encouraging and helpful and also puts you um, at an advantage in recognizing those messages wherever you are, whether they be in media or content or even possibly and hopefully not within your own church. Um, I encourage you to actually read his book. It is uh, filled with so much more that we could not cover in this interview, um, but it is an excellent uh, you know, kind of overview of, of this phenomenon, which is really just becoming commonplace of the Christian left. So definitely check that out. All right. Well, I will see you uh, next Monday, unless you are in Firestarters, in which case you will get the uh, unaired portion of my conversation with Lucas Miles. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a great week. See you next Monday.